Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello. Welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono. My guest today is one of the biggest philanthropists in the world who sits on the boards of Generation Hip Hop Global, Africa Rising. He is the co-chair of the Mandela Institute for Humanity and is the longest-serving global ambassador for UNAIDS, a specialized agency of the United Nations that campaigns to end the HIV-AIDS epidemic. He is also the author of the best-selling autobiography, Going to the Mountain, Life Lessons from My Grandfather, Nelson Mandela. Please welcome to the show, Kaiser Chief supporter, Ndaba Mandela. All right, welcome Ndaba Mandela. Thank you very much. Uh, We are speaking to you now... And it's an interesting time in South Africa following the passing of Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the African Cup of Nations just kicked off without Bafana Bafana. What is the mood in the country now and what and how is that tournament received in your country despite not being in it? Well, of course, the African Cup of Nations is a tournament that, uh, you know, South Africa is very much into. If you recall, we actually won, uh, I think it was 1996, uh, the first time South Africa won, and the only time, really, when we won. And, you know, that was just independence. So that was really a huge moment for South Africa. But unfortunately, since then, you know, we haven't been able to really, you know, have the same mantle and the same quality of level players that we've had, you know, in the past. So right. our performance in the African Cup of Nations has really kind of dwindled over, over the years. But the Cup itself, of course, throughout Africa has always been celebrated in a, in a very big way. Great, great. You know, that, that tournament cup, when you won, it was the year after the rugby tournament, which your grandfather had famously united the country. Uh, do you think that that had anything to do with it? That Bafana Bafana said, you know what? How could the Springboks win and not us? Like, now it's our turn to do this. <laughs> well, I'll definitely, at that time, the, the South African mood, you know, this new rainbow nation, this new independent country, was really just buzzing with hope, you know, looking at what, what are the possibilities in the, next, in the future. So I think it definitely had that energy and that boost, you know, and that belief that we could do it. You know, really did a lot. For sure. You know, Soweto is where you are from, and your team is Kaiser Chiefs. Uh, how did that sure. fandom come about, and why did you pick them over Orlando Pirates? <laughs> well, it's a funny story because, funny enough, both my parents were Orlando Pirates. You know, they mostly grew up in Orlando East. However, my brother, you know, when I grew up, my older brother, he, he was like my, my hero. And so he actually, I didn't know, I only learned much later that he had a different mother from my mother, you know, same dad. Wow. But he basically supported Chiefs. And because, you know, my, my brother introduced me to hip-hop, introduced me to a lot of things growing up. You know, he was like my idol. So when he supported Chiefs, I automatically went for Chiefs. All right. All right. What's Soweto like as a place? And explain it to those who have never been there before. Well... Soweto is a place with great history. Um, it's it's a township that was created around '64, um, but today, you know, it's nothing to what it was before. I mean, we have now a, a street called Villagazi Street, where two Nobel Peace Prize laureate winners uh, used to live, which is Desmond Tutu and my grandfather Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. And that street, you know, from the 
from the time you walk in and all the way up. It's restaurants, it's, um, you know, people who are entrepreneurs, designers, you know, celebrating that African culture. And you'll find it buzzing every time, whether it's a Monday or Sunday, Wednesday, or even over the weekend. This place is buzzing with tourists, with people from all over, and you can really taste the flavors and the sounds, you know, of, of the people of South Africa. Nice. All right. You know, last season on the series, I spoke to uh, Soweto musician Umpami Makata from the band Blackjacks, and his and he loves Orlando Pirates. So naturally, we brought up the Soweto Derby. Uh, what is that rivalry like, and what is it like when those two teams come together? Because he painted a very cool, very just fun banter, nothing too violent, just a lot of just beautiful fandom in that stadium with unlike what you see in Europe or in South America with, with some of the major rivalries. Yes. Um, firstly, this, 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 this rival goes all the way back, you know, more than 30 years back. Right. And this is the darkest time, not only in South Africa, but I believe on the continent. doesn't matter what is, is a friendly or it's a championship game or knockout, both, teams will fill up the stadiums regardless, right? I remember back in the mid-90s, there was a huge game where there was a stampede, people got in because they had it at a slightly smaller venue. And oh, so wow. they decided that whenever these two teams, they'll only be able to play at F&B Stadium, which is an 80,000-seater stadium. And like you said, you know, the fandom is truly electrifying. You know, guys with the vuvuzelas, with the macarapas, you know, they, they take these, um, you know, mining hats, hard hats, and they actually cut them up and they make like all kinds of, of beautiful fan, you know, outfits for, for, for the day. So it's really a beautiful uh, sight to see it and energy and the vibe to be that, that is really special. That's incredible. I mean, it sounds like so much fun, you know. Uh, Kaiser Chiefs are the team with the most trophies in South Africa, the largest fan base, and they're born out of Kaiser Motang returning to the country after playing for Atlanta Chiefs here in America. Why did that? Why did that team catch on so quickly, fifty-two years ago? I believe, firstly, it was a new team, right, mm -hmm. and it was coming for also from Soweto, because Soweto only had the. I mean, you had Swallows as well, but you have, you know, Pirates. And I think because we're just like in the 50s, if you think about the time, you know, you have Sophia Town, you had, you know, a, a really a, a new sort of generation of artists and people who are celebrating uh, themselves. And I think, you know, the young people just took to it very easily because it was young and fresh, especially at that time of hardship. Okay. You know, he was also from Soweto, Kaiser. And when he left South Africa during the struggle to play in the United States, explain to the audience how big of a deal it was for a black player to leave South Africa and play overseas. I mean, it was massive, you know. Let's remember back in those days, it was we were under apartheid. And apartheid really was a system that, you know, um, was... Um, and slaving the black man. Black people were not able to become professionals in anything. You know, you couldn't be a doctor, you could be a nurse. You know, you couldn't be a surgeon. You couldn't be a, an engineer. So the fact that not only became a professional soccer player, that I was able to get out of the country because we were not actually allowed to get out of the country. Right. Which means 
which means he found some way underground to get there, which is amazing. Wow. And of course, that they have, may have been support, not may have been, there's definitely support from the American side as well. So that, that was just amazing, a feat that he was able to, to complete. I, I mean, it really, it's astonishing in the bravery there. I mean, it feels like something that Hollywood come up, would come up with in a movie, but it was so, it's all too real. And then he returns and creates probably, would you argue that Kaiser Chiefs is the biggest team in South Africa? I mean, you know, Pirates guys will argue. <laughs> we all know the truth. <laughs> We are, we're now 12 years removed from the 2010 World Cup, uh, which South Africa uh, hosted. It was the first World Cup in, in the continent. What was it like having that World Cup in your country? To be honest with you, that time, it was, I can say to you, that was the best time I've had in South Africa in my whole life. Wow. I mean, every single day, you know, from the countdown, from the... Right to the very end, it was just beautiful. The people were happy. You had tourists from every single nation. People were mixing, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I worked with Argentinians and Mexicans. I met uh, people from Chile that I never had the opportunity to meet before. Um, so, you know, that's what I love about a, a World Cup. It really creates a mood of festivity, of, of love, of respect, you know, of, of dignity for everyone that's involved. For sure. You know, when your grandfather campaigned to get the World Cup in South Africa, he had this, he was so determined. He had this look, but he also had this look of, uh, this jovial look about him that he, he this needed to be done. You know, what was that like witnessing him tr do this? And, and at his age, at that, you know, he was not a spring chicken. And for all that he had gone through and still determined to travel the world and lobby for South Africa to say, we deserve a World Cup. We deserve the World Cup. Not only did Africa deserve a World Cup, but I think South Africa also needed it because, you know, looking at our history and then, you know, Mandela coming out and, you, you know, we have the World Cup and we, you know, you have soccer. You know, things were just moving in the all right positive fashion. And the most amazing thing is that on the day of this World Cup draw, I remember I was with my two brothers, um, and we went to the beer festival, which 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 was at the German school here. And I remember gathering, you know, in a tent full of people, um, and we all like they literally shut down the they shut down the music, put up the volume off the TV, and they announced it. And we told ourselves, we said, listen. If we get the World Cup, we're going to buy three cakes. <laughs> not getting the World Cup, we're only going to buy one cake. And oh my God, let me tell you, when they announced it, South Africa, that whole tent erupted, man. It truly erupted. And my man, from there, it was just joyous occasion all the way. Wow. You know, will we see another World Cup on African soil? There's talk of a potential one in Egypt. Well, I think uh, in time, uh, there definitely should be one. I mean, the World Cup, of course, is something that should be shared by all nations, um, not just in Europe. And I think it's important that when the World Cup happens, that not only Egypt will be you know, responsible, I think everybody, the community that's involved, should help each country you know, make sure that we have a successful World Cup you know, where they can celebrate and, and be who they are, you know, with, with, with dignity and pride. Fantastic. 
you know, the great Samuel Eto'o recently said that it is not impossible for an African nation to win the World Cup one day. I do agree with him, but what do you think has to be done, and who do you think will win it first from the continent? Oof. I think that there's, there's a lot that needs to be done. You know, for example, right now, we had a situation about the Cameroon World Cup. Uh, I mean, African Cup of Nations that's taking place uh, next week, I believe. Um, a lot of the players in Europe, which are African, have been discouraged from going to that uh, tournament. And you know, even though the way the media has been portraying it, as if that, you know, because of the corona, these players shouldn't go there. And no, these players want to go there. They want to play for their nation. They are proud to, to belong to that nation and they want to, you know, serve their nation. So that is, that's one thing, you know, Ian Wright came out and talked about that, uh, about how the, the pure racism that we see in the media and how they've portrayed this African Cup of Nation. Well, one day, we need to sort out these kind of issues that we have in, in the media because then, you know, future generations will not be discouraged from actually, you know, playing for their countries. In terms of who who can actually win the World Cup, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, there's Nigeria. Obviously, there's... <laughs> Uh, Morocco, Tunisia. I mean, there's a lot of talent on the on the continent, Cameroon, etc. I'm not sure South Africa, though. Can, I can honestly put them on that list for now. Wow. All right. Hopefully, one day. Um, yeah. you, uh, I got a few more questions for you. Um, one, I want to just focus just on you for a minute because you, my friend, are one of the most inspiring and one of the busiest people I know. You, you, I, I, I don't know how you manage to do what you do on a daily basis. So explain to us all of the charitable organizations, NGOs, and things that you're doing, and what it is like doing it in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> well, my friend, yeah. Um, firstly, uh, there's an organization called Africa Rising, which I've had since 2010 that me and my colonel started. And it's all focused on youth empowerment. Um, so we focus mainly in the rural areas uh, where we do work mainly with high schools. And we did, you know, computer programs where we partner with Oracle. We've done uh, financial literacy programs that we do with NetBank. Uh, we've also worked with the government. We've worked with Unilever as well, uh, where they did, you know, a hygiene class for women and distributed, you know, your your pads, your, your sanitary pads for, mm -hmm. for young ladies. So we have done career um, sort of career guidance uh, seminars, uh, again, for, for high schools, because we believe that these young people need to be, you know, open in terms of what is truly possible out there. You can imagine rural kids don't believe they can become a pilot or, you know, they don't even know about, you know, what is actual science, for example. Etc. Right. Um, Etc. Et so we try to broaden and make sure that they have a wide range of options of what they can truly do. I also work with an organization called Generation Hip Hop that was founded in, uh, I think that was founded five years ago. Sad thing is that our CEO, Terence, just passed away. God bless his soul. He was the main driver behind the organization, and we basically use hip hop music. Um, and they five elements to use that for young people in the, in, 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 
in impoverished areas again, you know, marginal areas, to be able to get out their, their situation. So whether it be dancing, graffiti, arts, uh, spoken word, or even the actual music, the beats, uh, so that people can come together and create uh, programs that empower them uh, in their community. Um, <clears throat> I also work with an organization known as the Mandela Institute for Humanity that is based out of New York. Now here, we have a focus on developing young leaders. We say to ourselves, wouldn't the world be a better place if we had 100 Mandelas? So we came up with a program for young people to the ages of 24 to 35, where they do an eight-week master class online. And then after that, obviously, this was designed before COVID, the, the idea was then to get these, these young people to come to South Africa and actually, you know, walk in the footsteps of, of, of Nelson Mandela. So from the time he, he grew up in the Eastern Cape, what are the lessons they learned there? being part of the royal kingdom, the kingdom of the temples. And then moving from there to Johannesburg, when he became an activist and joined the ANC and a lawyer, what are the lessons that he learned there? And finally, going to Robben Island, which is just outside of Cape Town, what are the lessons he learned there? And really understanding the, the values and the characteristics of what makes a great leader, but more specifically, the leadership style and how Mandela applies those in his day life and how we can apply that in our community, in our workplace, etc., etc. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from modcup.com. Mod Cup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. I'm I'm always in awe of everything that you do, and and uh, you know it helps make the world a better place, man. Um, you know we're in the we're in the you're welcome. You're in, we're in the home stretch now. I'm gonna ask you three questions that I ask every guest here, uh, all pertaining to Kaiser Chiefs. Now for you, if you could bring back one retired player to your club, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Ooh. I think it would have to be Lucas Kadeba. Okay. He's still alive. Lucas Kadeba, man. I, I don't know if you know him. That guy was, I think, I believe, outside of Benny and McCarthy um, and a few others, was one of the best soccer players. If you look at his career, he had an amazing career at Leeds. He became the captain of Leeds in the premiership. Um, and he was just one of the most loved and respected players of all time. And I think... If he had to come back today and was still fit, he would be able to change our team around, you know? Wow. Okay. Yeah. If your club, if money wasn't an option, where pretending money doesn't exist in this question, if your club could sign one player today, who would it be and why? Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. It would have to be Mbappe, because Mbappe is one of the most deadliest strikers in the world. And our, our team has really been struggling to actually score goals uh, of late. So it would have to be in back. He's quick, he's on the mark, he's got skills, and, you know, he bangs in goals. Love it, love it. And finally, what has been your favorite moment as a fan? As a fan, you know, to be honest with you, the, the, the best moment for me is when we beat Paris. That's number one. 
and number two is obviously winning the league and win, winning the championship. You know, we haven't won the league in forever, but usually sometimes what we do, me and my friends would get together at someone's house or at a bar, you know, have a couple of beers and, 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 and just, just banter it out all day, you know. So that's what I love about, about, about football and soccer in, uh, in general. Love it. And Dava Mandela, thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to appear on this podcast. And uh, I appreciate everything you do, man. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, brother. Hope you have a lovely day. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.